1: This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. A couple of my training partners picked me up from um, Harley Street Surgery and they said there's going to be no Olympic Games for me. Sometimes people might spit in your lane or something like that, or are doing start practice. Because when we see each other, the eyes light up, the smiles are there, and we can just, you know, reminisce and share that incredible night.
0: Welcome to Athletics Life Stories with myself, Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by Jason Gardner, MBE. Jason is one of the most successful British sprinters of all time. As well as being the lead-off man for the quartet that so gloriously won 4 by 100 meter relay gold at the Athens Olympics in 2004, he enjoyed a superb career in the individual sprints, particularly indoors. He's a four-time European indoor 60 meter champion and also won gold at the World Indoor Championships. Now president of uk of british athletics he's a highly respected official and widely regarded as one of the nice guys of the sport jason good to see you
1: hi good morning thanks nice to see you as well nice intro
0: <laughs> no problem at all um uh, so tell me let's go right back right, right to the start then is there any athletic genes in your family where does it where does it come from
1: your athletic ability not particularly athletics so much um both my parents were quite sporty um, at, at school themselves uh, my father used to play um, rugby, um, used to play for a club called O'Foot Boys uh, down here in Bath. And my mum, she says she was quite quick. Um, so probably the speed probably comes from her. She said she used to win her school sports days as well, but she never um, joined an athletics club. Um, so, yeah, that's probably where it comes from.
0: And what about you then? Did you when did you first? What was your talent like at, at uh, sport generally at school? Were you were you the were you winning the sports days like you say? Were you, were you the fastest kid in the class? Uh,
1: yes, <laughs> to answer that quite um, quickly, um, I remember vividly when I was about six, seven years of age, my first school sports day. Um, it was you know it's been a beautiful uh, afternoon uh, at St John's um, Catholic School in Bath, and I remember looking down the um, you know the, the grass bumpy kind of track and all the parents had arrived to support their children and grandparents and the whole school atmosphere was really electric with the um, whole school on the right hand side i remember i was like my like, pristine p white kit and um and uh black pimpsol shoes we to wear. and yeah, uh, i yeah. remember i remember vividly that the the finishing line that the ribbon at the end and uh and I, I got a great start and i hadn't tasted success or been successful in school um up until that point and then i managed the wind was rushing past my ears um the smell of freshly cut grass and the fine knew and i dipped and i won and i got you know i um, you know a kind of round applause and for my the, the people i you know competed against and it was just great a great buzz a great feeling that's my earliest recollection of being good at something it's very vivid so even
0: right at the start you had that good ability to get out of the start quickly then
1: yeah little did i realize that years um you know later that start that electric start um well, be known as the uh bath bullet uh you know would have propelled me to being one of the greatest sprinters of all time uh certainly over 60 meters good good stuff good stuff
0: so when did you first make your proper inroads into into the sport itself by joining a club and um you know get on, get your first steps on the ladder as it were yeah i
1: guess it's um a little bit by luck really. And um I as I progressed from junior school to secondary school I went to um to Beach and Cliff School. a uh, great heritage of um, athletics. Um a great heritage of rugby at Beach and Cliff School but also um it used to be um of Bath Boys' School. Um that's where um, uh, Sir Roger Bannister um was educated. So um Again, there was a massive sports program, and it was it was great being part of the you know the camaraderie of the athletics team going up, going you know out of, you know far afield competing against other schools. So school sports day at Bisham Cliff was brilliant, and it was only there actually it was competing against other bar schools. Um, that um, one of the coaches from Sea of Bath AC, who was there supporting his own children, who were in my year, um, saw that I was quite good. And he was like, a, you know, a talent scout, I guess, for the club, um, was just, you know, encouraged me, if I ever thought about joining the, the uh, local athletics club. I guess, you know, and um, at that time, I didn't even know there was an athletics club. This is before the internet, where you can easily click a few buttons, you know, find out what's on, you know, available on your doorstep or globally. So, um. But I was interested because I found something I was really good at and I got a lot of um, I guess, self-esteem from actually competing and winning. I was playing lots of sports at that time. Um, and I went to school where you know, you couldn't duck out of sport. Uh, I enjoyed playing football. I enjoyed uh, playing rugby. Hated cross-country, but it was compulsory. <laughs> um, but that's where it started. I joined City of Bath AC uh, about 12 years of age and then I guess the journey was um, club athletics, competing county level, standard. I thought I was good because I was county champion. And to be honest with you, you know, it started to get a little bit boring, really, because the competition uh, level, I'd probably, you know, I'd reached the height of competing at that level. But then I got challenged with English schools. And that was a really, you know, um, kind of rude awakening for me because I thought I was good until I um, competed against a guy by the name of Curtis Brown. You may remember his name. And yeah, uh, Curtis from the West Midlands was, um, you know, he was like, you know, he had the same kind of stature as Linford Christie. He was huge. And he just <laughs> ran away with the race. He ran away with the final, and he was in art to be the next future Olympic champion. And I was devastated to find out, A, that um, I didn't win, didn't get a medal, but I didn't make it to the final. And that really hurt me, but that was um, a catalyst Uh, where it fueled my burning desire to protect my dream, to become like a Daley Thompson, to be an Olympic champion. Um, And that's where it really started. And again, a little bit of luck, a fortuitous um, opportunity where I came back to Bath, determined to work harder, um, but I needed a change. I needed a change in training group. I needed to work with somebody that knew the performance pathway of what it takes to be an international athlete or to go on to be an Olympian, and this guy by the name of David Lees was a national coach at the time for Scotland, had moved to um, back to his home homeland in the southwest of England and uh, close to me, and uh, he was the um, I was fortunate to join his pole vault group, and again a little bit of kind of um, luck. Is that um, through a family um, connection, there was a there was a connection with Dave Lee, so um, his um, sister was actually my um, was married to my um, my um, uncle, so it's uh and that kind of helped really. I mean, he was a pole vault coach with amazing knowledge, Olympic coach, and we went on a over to think ten year journey where um, he was my coach and yeah, coached me to run under ten seconds, winning his first European or two championship titles as well. Yeah, I
0: mean, so he was a pole vault coach. Did he have to adapt his training towards you? He had to.
1: Yeah. So, um, so when I joined him, and um, he was the he was a national jumps coach for for a GBNI team, and obviously being a national coach at any level, uh, you you you're gonna have a decent amount of knowledge of speed, you know, speed on the runway, take off, long jump, and stuff like that. And initially I think he thought I was quite quick and he was with his jumps kind of background was probably kind of eyeing me up to maybe be a long jumper. And I enjoyed doing long jump at um at competitions, but it was a hundred meters of sprint, which I really kind of um, you know, um enjoyed doing. And he asked me the questions in terms of get a bit of clarity of purpose, what I wanted to, to do, what I wanted to achieve, and I said I wanted to be a hundred meters sprinter and uh you know he, he did test um the level of appetite to be a long jumper or 200 meter run hour 400 meter runner but i said no i want to be a 100 meter sprinter so that way um he was able to produce me a a a training program and and we worked on a periodization kind of program which is all new to me i was a kid with lots of enthusiasm with zero knowledge and it was you know the best thing that could ever happen to me um being able to work with a a, a coach of that magnitude and that experience and training with his um group the pole vaulters. we used to do lots of technical drills just like you know the sprinter student running drills and stuff like that Dave was a very much a massive um um yeah uh feature of um technique and I was working with a guy, uh, one of the training partners, Christian North. And at the time, Christian was um, was coached to be the European Youth Olympic champion from Dave. So he was, you know, a big thing, you know, coming to training with his um, the Nike, GB, you know, um, kits <laughs> on and stuff. And I, you know, I wanted to be like him and uh, it was very aspirational. And that kind of rubbed off that kind of um, culture, you know, people applying themselves, working hard and achieving success. And that's where it all started
0: was there an olympic games that you watched as a, as a, as a youngster that inspired you that really yes just stuck stuck with you what was that
1: it would have been the la olympic games in 84 and if i take myself back down memory lane i you know this is a time where, you know there was only a few channels on tv back then uh we were in color transmission um but well, I grew up in Bath and I grew up in a very, you know, which is a, is a very affluent city. It's a very, it's not a very multicultural um, city. So, but going up in the, you know, 1970s, 80s was quite tough um, for someone with my own complexion. And so it wasn't kind of, and it's, you know, had much kind of role models around and stuff like that. But that's what I mentioned earlier on with. You know, seeing the likes of Daley Thompson on TV winning for Britain with a kind of similar hair style with Afro as I had. <laughs> I identified with that. And it's these small connections where you can identify um, and, and make a connection. And, it, you know, and just seeing those heroes on TV generally enabled me to go on and have a big dream that I could go on in the Chiefs similar to them just like watching John Barnes on, on, on the football and seeing all the other countries around the world in it's opening ceremony and those guys on the jetpacks you know flying into the Coliseum yeah. Stadium it's just you know I didn't watch much TV when I was younger I was that type of person that was outside playing when you could kids could play on the streets play down the field playing football till you know as, as long as you can get away with it without getting grounded coming in when it's late and dark but um yeah, that kind of set me on the path, really. I'm very fortunate as the years went by to then see other British heroes like the likes of, you know, uh, Linford Christie, Colin Jackson, John Regis, Roger Black, you know, Sally Gunnell and um, Tess Sanderson, and all those uh, athletes, which, um, you know, played a, a prominent um, part of my um, kind of aspiration to 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 fly the flag for for Britain at the highest level.
0: Okay, so you can see the pathway there. You got you got the, the coach in place who can help you get there. And ten years on from LA, you're at the World Junior Championships, and that's where you had your real breakthrough, wasn't it, at an international
1: level? Yeah, so I started working with Dave. I think it was in about 1993. Sorry, and then the World Junior Championships um, was 19, maybe 1992, and then 1992, and then 1994 was the World Junior mm-hmm. Championships. So you know, I wanted to be an Olympic athlete. And um, and if I talk to people about I want to be a big champion, you know, uh, yeah, people wouldn't pay much attention um, because you know, it's always thought that, that those athletes come from somewhere else, like the big inner cities like London or Birmingham or, you know, different countries. And um, but when I went to World Junior Championships, I think around 10 to 5 and picked up a silver medal in the 100 metres and they, gold in the relay and Marlon Dernish was one of my roommates so that's, oh, where, on, that's where our relationship started during those um, junior years and It was Marlon for those that may not know um, and those that do know was my teammate in, in Athens when we won the gold for Britain so um, that was kind of what achieving those successes in Lisbon uh, suddenly when I came back home suddenly other people started oh, oh this kid is this kid is quite good well you know maybe we should take him a bit seriously and i think now it's a thing with david david lee's in particular um because he saw how hard i focused and worked when he sent me my training programs and he also seen the you know, the massive amount of improvement of a like base what he would um, say was a very simple training program which created you know great um yeah, performance um impact and you know i you know he certainly um believe that, um, you know, anything is possible. And that really just made a huge difference. And we've had this 10-year uh, partnership where he got me to be one of the fastest sprinters ever, uh, breaking 10 seconds, being we finished seventh in the World Championships in the 100 metres, which was, you know, um, you know frustrating. It was the highest um, position I'd ever um, got to in 100 metres. And this is from a guy who was, you know, didn't know much about sprinting, um, background. We trained on a derelict track in, in Melksham, just outside of Bath. There wasn't great facilities around like there are now. Um, and you know, we, we 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 operated before lottery funding. We were operating on a, on a real you know um, shoestring budget. Um, but the heart and desire and the knowledge was um, you know made a big
0: difference. Did you you touched on being Bath based there and and the, the hotbeds of sprinting were obviously in the in the Midlands and London. Did you feel a bit uh, of an outlier? Were you ever tempted to 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 head to those the, those bigger urban places to, to join with different groups?
1: Yeah, I think during uh, certain parts of my kind of career, um, certainly as I became more established in the season international and particularly when the chips were down, when you know I was uh, picking up injuries, you know, that's where you um you know you you, you you the seed of doubts can kind of um, manifest. But I mean in the earlier days I had this coach who within like you know a couple of years of training, I was compete I was on the rostrum at World Junior Championships. A year later I was you know, I was um you know, I was I was in the same relay squad as Tony Tony Jarrett, Darren Braithwaite, John Regis, you know, um these guys, lived for Christie, my first in senior international lived for Christie was on last leg, I was in Lille for the European Cup. You know, and that you know, this is just bonkers but I mean, like literally a couple of years from these guys you know posters on my wall suddenly I'm in I'm in I'm in a team with them and uh so for me I felt like you know to me Dave was kind of like a, a god because he he just enabled me to start to fulfill my dreams and I think it's only probably after Sydney in particular my first Olympics where it was we had an amazing 1999 and then suddenly the frustrations of not quite fulfilling my um my dreams at that games and since my other teammates um we say teammates, but not so much teammates, because we're rivals. Um, mm-hmm. But our frustrations that have seen some of your rivals um, do better and you really hurt. And that's probably sometimes. And I was starting to travel the Europe, the yeah, the Grand Prix circuit. So I'm getting exposed to seeing some of the great coaches in the world. So um, at the times like the John Smiths, you know, with his American um, uh, groups like uh, Maurice Screen, Atto Bolden. And hearing, you know, what kind of training um uh, sessions athletes like that would be doing. I mean, remember, these guys were training in America in the glorious sunshine, in, in these colleges and universities with you know state-of-the-art equipment. And we were operating, let's say, in a derelict track, you know, we'd warm up, we'd take black bin liners to sit down so we could do stretching in, in the winter when the rain's absolutely bucking it down with nowhere to kind of um take shelter. And, you know, those hamstrings, um, you know, sprinters and hamstrings and cold, really cold weather, you know, isn't a perfect kind of um, mix. So seeing the contrast to what others were experiencing, yeah certainly enabled, certainly kind of um, had me thinking a little bit about, you know, um, would I be better in a different environment? at the time I didn't know much and I didn't know how mm-hmm. about going to going about those processes and stuff like that so it didn't happen whereas now there is a lot more information you can find as I mentioned earlier on in the internet the connections and you know scholarship kind of offers um which makes it a little bit more easy for athletes to make a you know a good informed um, decision on what's best for them but I don't regret uh uh, any anything in my career I you know I gave it my absolute best and I'm very fortunate to to look back you mentioned at the intro of some of those um you know victories that um, I was able to achieve I do, I've pinched myself sometimes it really, it really happened because uh you know I go to competitions now sometimes and I'll watch a European indoor final world indoor final or Olympic um you know, relay final. And I'm just amazed by the absolute calibre um, of athletes and the performances and speeds they run. And I sometimes do pitch myself to say, gosh, I used to run actually faster than some of those people. It's quite hard to kind of connect with these days.
0: Yeah. Well, One of the ones, obviously, a big one which is associated with you is the, is the European Indoor Championships. That was your that was your baby for a while, wasn't it? You, you did get to, the, I think your first one was 96, so you won a... A silver in in 98 but you went on to win four of those as well so that, that became a bit of a did it get to the point where you think I've got to go and do it. I've got to defend it. I've got to defend it. I've got to go to that one every year <laughs> and win it
1: yeah I, I think for all athletes you 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 um you draw upon um you know opportunities which can enable you to thrive and I think obviously winning it first time was was a tremendous feeling you know um and you know, if I'd only won it once would have been more than enough but um <laughs> yeah sports people we tend to be greedy and then you know the talk of defending uh title is always a big one a big to work towards and so yeah doing that was great and i think the third a third one was i think i was coming off of the yes, right, i was coming Madrid, I think, was the third one, and I'd come off an amazing uh, Olympic Games, but I'd had a lot of surgery, so I wasn't quite the athlete I was, but even before Athens, I I shouldn't have really been in Athens, a double hernia repair, um, and I was carrying a baton with a broken wrist, I had three upper jewels a year, so I was was (laughs) not in great shape, really, and um, so that was quite tough, Madrid, because I think I was against Ronald Ponyon and Martinus Francis, you know, who was, you know, doing tremendously well, and... This um, is 2000, that, 2005, was it? The, yeah, you know, 2005. Yeah, yeah. And um, so to win that was I won that probably more on my my reputation and my ability to 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 understand the event and the pressure more than actually than my talent ability because I was far from. Being at my very best. As I say, it took me a long time to try and recover from that surgery, the, those surgeries. And I think they say, as an athlete, when you have surgery, you're never quite the same again. And um, but the, the the motivation in 2007 was just too much of a draw. It was Birmingham, It's why I kind of started. I I, it was my springboard of being known um, as a as a 60 meter sprinter when I had that. Uh, around 655 there when I was really young it was on ITV Jim Rosenthal was the um was um the kind of commentator at the time it was just that was just put me on to like being ranked right one of the fastest sprinters in the world by one quick time um and yeah going back to Birmingham for the home crowd and we've been training I've been helping my um a Craig Pickering who joined our group so he was like the you know protege and he'd made rapid improvements in a short period of time and suddenly was beating me in some of my earlier races, um, like in Glasgow and Calvin Hall and, and, yeah, uh, right. and on the circuit in Germany. So it became more than just, it, it became suddenly a, you know, a real duel in battle with my training partner who was kind of, you know, I'd been helping and uh, suddenly he's destroying my reputation over the 60 metres. So to win that was a massive one for me. Probably the sweetest, well, the sweetest one I have out of all of them, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, the yeah. star, the starlight, won it as well, and the time was also pretty special.
0: Yeah, we, we we actually talked to Craig on an earlier podcast, and he said that uh, things got a little bit awkward in training around that time.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you know, there was a point where obviously, you know, we we would train incredibly. Um, you know, hard and, you know, very competitive. There's Ryan Scott as well, who also made that final yeah. in Birmingham. So Malcolm Arnold, who I moved to after the Commonwealth Games in Manchester, because I wasn't quite fulfilling my potential. Um, training was, yeah, I mean, it, you know, we were doing the same training and, and I would, you know, in many instances beat Craig in training and suddenly in the competition, he would just raise his game and beat me. And I don't know if it is probably the, the pressure of it, maybe, but, um, you know there was a time where it was like okay you no, know, friendships we go training now. the friendship kind of ends here now this is this is business and they were that they were like incredibly intense training sessions but there was no kind of animosity or you know um bad feelings it was just you know work is work and, and you know and, and afterwards is is a different kind of um yeah it's a different kind of you know Play, pl- playground really you know where you could be friends and socialize over lunch and stuff like that but there was a lot of stake reputation uh contracts and stuff like that and you know in our business that's how you make your money and it was my last year I retired after that in 2007 I realized the um that I had just my, my son was supposed to be uh, due um to be born on that day of that final actually and um so there's all sorts of stuff going on so my kind of my focus is, um, certainly started to, to um, and hunger started to to not be quite as well it was um you know a couple of years before. Hmm. Understand,
0: understandable. Well, stay with the indoors, and, and as well as the Europeans, you did well in the, in the world indoors. You, it was a a surprise bronze you got in 1999, but from yeah, that that was a really big moment as well for you, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's again it might be a surprise for other people, but it wasn't for us at the time. Um. Because when it, 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 you look in the detail, there was that talent and some of those performances were there. And as I was learning becoming more seasoned and professional um, sprinter, you know, it it built to that kind of that performance. I mean, that was a loaded field. I mean, Morris Green won it in like it 6.42 or 41. And that. I can't remember the guy's name became second, but I mean, he ran like 640, I think three or something like that. And then and I got I broke in you know, for Christie's European record running 646 uh, there in Japan. So, um, no, I believe, you know, good big performances were coming. And that was and that just was evidence that they were. And I guess that's where the confidence to really kind of be a serial medal winner in the 60 metres um, kind of really kind of came from. The, you know, I, I speak to athletes and you know, athletes, I'm mentoring athletes and or involved in, in, in that kind of capacity. You know, it's very easy to run a one off quick race somewhere when the pressure's not on you. But then you've got to try and live up to that. And then you've got to try and put that one off race you know, together in a in a very pressurized situation with you know, maybe a lot of media expectation, personal pressure and put together a series of races and a championship that's very different to running one-off races and I look back into my career I was very good certainly 100 meters of running you know a uh, good one-off races but I couldn't put a series of those races together like back to back like two rounds and the you know in the first second round and one day and then come back to the semi-final final and I think you know um looking back at my coaching we we that's probably where maybe the little bit of an inexperience of um of uh, having a coach who hadn't spent ten or twenty years training sprinters and dealing with those championship um, uh, requirements is probably where I would say where, where we were, our vulnerability was, um, and that's where probably when I joined Malcolm Arnold um, in my latter part of my career, just the difference in training approaches and stuff like that was um, I saw that that's where he had a huge amount of um, experience of. Coaching sprinters like like the college and to be successful at championships.
0: Okay, I mean, was there was there too much? You went on to world indoors was a great offer. You went on to win bronze again. Two thousand three, you won it in two thousand four, um, which is fantastic again in Budapest. The world Indo- uh, 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 It's not bad being a world champion, is it?
1: Yeah. So that. So so this was um this was a year where I really learned about um being mentally tough. I think it's fair to say I was a I was a type of athlete. If everything was all kind of um, if all the plans or training has gone well, like I was hitting all my KPIs, um, and I was healthy, I always felt I could, you know, destroy, you know, good athletes. The problem is at that time I was starting to be uh, injured more than I was healthy, and like I said, I, I was having three epidurals a year at this time. During that um, championships in Budapest, I require a hernia repair. I'd hurt it by equaling my European record in Karlsruhe, at literally like two, just over two, week, two weeks before that um, Budapest um, World Championships. And that's probably going to Karlsruhe is probably my um, biggest, one of my biggest regrets if I got them, um, because that wasn't part of our plan, but I pull it in as a last minute because the lure of going to run on a fast track and I felt like I you know, could have broken a world record and what seemed to be a great opportunity and I think for all athletes when you're riding... Was kite, it a renowned
0: fast track, Karlsruhe on the indoor yeah, circuit, it's,
1: yeah. it's a top meeting isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is, is. Yeah, and it's, um, it, yeah it was renowned to be quick and I felt like I was in world record kind of shape, that's kind of my, my confidence was high, I was faster and stronger than I ever was before. So um, I saw equal the European record there and that day I flew back that evening after the competition, which is quite unusual. A lot of, you know, you, you use Grand Prix, you go flat the next day and then the next morning I'm back in the gym. because so I, I was, you know, all guns blazing for the World Indoor Championships and, and that Olympic year. And those are mistakes because I, I had a bad back. and. And I put in this extra race because it was the the lure of the fast track, but also actually the lure of actually a really good prize money um, or appearance money for me. And it was like felt like too good to turn down. Again, you know, this is what athletes have to try and do is balance, um, you know, um, what they need to do uh, against kind of being able to live as well, because that's how that's how we earn our, our living. And that was the worst decision because in that process I came back to Bath and I was back in the gym and I'd I'd hurt my groin um, in that competition and that niggle um, got worse and worse. I trained and I realised I, I went to to get scanned. We had starting to have doctors and stuff like at university now part of the English Institute of Sports. so we're able to see people quite um yeah, quite response uh, with quick response and. I had a, um, went to Swindon Ridgeway Hospital for a, a further scan and required I I needed surgery, but I knew I needed surgery, so I thought, I'll try I'll go back to training and see what I can do and push it because you know and see if I can still be competitive. And I'm going to cut a long story short, but working with Malcolm Arnold um, was really a you know a, a hard taskmaster, which is what mm-hmm. you need um, because if you're an athlete which um, wants to be 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 modiculated and um, told you're great, or you know, um it's like it's very unlikely you're going to get a lot of success. And uh we went back to training. He kept pushing, and pushing. I wanted to push, and suddenly I was getting a bit w- mentally weak because the, the the pain was I was experiencing was really bad. Uh, but as it happens, at one point the pain got so unbearable. But then after that, it kind of switched off. And whilst my times were really poor in training, because everything was measured, we had timing gates and stuff like that. And um, so a lot of science is involved. And then, then my performance started to improve. So going to World Indoor Championships, I had to change my strategy. I need a much greater uh, warm-up than I would normally do. And because I've been pushing my body, in those two weeks before, I, I, I learned a bit of a coping mechanism and... Um, and tolerance to it all. Whereas I think previously, a few years before, I would have taken two weeks rest, gone to the uh, warm up in Budapest, warmed up, pain would have been there, meant they would have been destroyed, probably gone out in the first round. But because I learned that strat- strategy of overcoming it, and I kept the information um, within a very close, uh, tight-knit circle of people. And I remember reading the article going out to Budapest in the newspapers, you know, Ghana, um, you yeah, uh, know, dead cert for gold for Britain. I was ranked I was ranked 100 a second ahead of Sean Crawford going into his championships and that kind of pressure It's because I was unbeaten but I was 100 seconds uh, faster than him. During that year I was just at the upper edge um, and little did them, they, they most people realise at that time that I, I was requiring surgery. The semi-final is where I put a performance down and that's why I believe I won that championships because I put a performance down and Sean couldn't um, respond to that time in his um, semi-final which is after mine and that was just why I totally, mentally thought I'd got him. So uh, I won that world title which was amazing. That's why I really learned actually you can achieve success when you're not at your very very best and you know, and I guess over the years, looking at some of the athletes like Kelly Holmes and kind of like you know, warm up and seeing some of her struggles over the years and seeing how how she achieved the you know her wildest of dreams, winning two golds, um, you know later on in Athens, and just demonstrates you know the road's not easy, but success is possible. And that was it really. Um, I went to have surgery, double hernia repair. I think a uh, uh, Dr. Jerry Gilmore, sadly late, Jerry Gilmore passed away, I think two years ago. Um, he grades them on like five out, of t- five on a scale of five, five in total total rupture, and one being minimal. So my left side was a 4.5, I think my five was my my, my right side was a five, and I had a tendon reattached to the, uh, the pubic bone. Um, so it's it, I done a proper job down there. So I went from fastest man in the world to slowest man in the world, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And my couple um, of my, my training partners picked me up from um, Hardy Street Surgery. And they said they didn't think there's going to be no Olympic Games for me. So for them, go you know being part of that journey. So that's a Dan Cousins, Christian North, who I mentioned earlier on this podcast, mm-hmm. and then seeing me end up making it to Athens, running my fastest time the 100 meters over a number of years, and picking up a gold medal on relay, it just it just blew their minds away as it did myself and and, and the team around me.
0: Yeah, we'll obviously get on to the to, the, to Athens uh, in a bit. Um, the um, well, who touched upon there about about you, you, the psychology of, of sprinting, and I think particularly around that time, you mentioned about you got one over Sean Crawford, but there was a um, I think pre- before Usain Bolt, there seemed to be a, a, almost a heavyweight boxing kind of feel about the about the hundred meters and the, and the swagger of guys like um, you know. Uh, uh, Maurice Green and John Drummond and the rest there's a different culture around it a different uh, how did you did you ever find that intimidating because I, I can't imagine you having the same sort of uh, swagger about you you you're, it wouldn't come naturally to you but ha- how did you feel being around that were you ever intimidated by it how did you deal with it
1: um yeah I mean how could you not be intimidated by it you know it's um you know behind the scenes in the corridors, are you know a, can be a brutal place an environment to you know you know some will sink kind of situation so um, but you learn. You learn to toughen up, you know, and you know you stay focused. You know, I think I again, again, my my coach was a great kind of mentor in terms of you know control of controllables. You know, you've got your lane, and you can you know, and, and the key thing to do is just you know try and you know, make that that lane count. Your performance count. Put pressure on them. So I like to be, I guess, a bit like a you know a, a silent kind of assassin. Really, I used to not be one for shouting and giving it, you know, bigging myself up and, um, you know, putting other people down. I didn't want to ever give anybody a, a real reason to kind of beat me. Um, but, of course, inside there was a, you know, a, a massive desire, uh, burning desire. And, you know, what I thought maybe some of my people to compete against was I wouldn't kind of articulate that in, in publicly internally. I used that um, energy to to my best um, abilities um I mean Dwayne Chambers was one of my rivals as well and he you know he liked to play that kind of act being on that, mm-hmm. you know I'm um, growling and being you know walking up and down menacingly on on the start line but um it wasn't me that's just not who I am and I think you know I think that's probably my advice to to athletes out there just you know be who you are and um I think seeing the likes of Usain Bolt come along shows actually you don't don't need to be that way but it is showbiz as well and Usain has his own showbiz style and Maurice was also you know he he brought you know he put bums on seats he was one of you know again and uh he was always a you know constant kind of um you know fawn um and prevented a lot of us from uh, you know going on and achieving um you know some of our kind of ultimate goals because he used to win everything
0: yeah yeah what did you uh what was the craziest thing you would see in a call room then have you ever seen sprinters like headbutting balls and and all this sort of crazy thing
1: crazy things just you you, you there are some rivalries out there and you can see people like running down I mean, this is very common if you're usually before in a final call it, it's very small it's you know usually adjacent to the hundred meter start line or this um underneath the seats in the stadium and it could be quite hostile kind of place. And, you know, especially when it's busy with other events and maybe a sprinters going down. Remember, we've got guys who are running like 20, 26 miles per hour in a short period of time. So you could be walking in a lane and before you know it, it's like trying to cross a road, uh, you know, on the M4 motorway. You know, at speed of some of these athletes are flying down and some, you know, they're not going to they're not going to move out of their way and risk injury, but they are rather flatten you. So sometimes you walk and you you you'll bounce off each other or you know um, slightly collide into each other and it was all part of the intimidation. Um, you know, part of the games of it. Sometimes people might spit in your lane or something like that or if you're doing start practice and stuff like that. You just stand. some spits. It's just like you know, I can't believe you just done that, but you've got to you can't rise to that kind of um, level of intimidation and then it gets you because once they get to you if they know they can press buttons and get to you they'll press it and press it i think there was you know i mean i remember you know there was a couple of sprinters and then come the blows um like proper blows and fights really? and stuff like that yeah so there is behind was, the uh, scenes with bot- yeah, yeah, yeah. Races or, yeah, oh yeah. yeah 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 so it's um you know there was some serious kind of um you know rivalry British, uh, British athletes or American athletes? No, American and um like Nigerian I think it was um in particular. But um yeah this stuff stuff like this manifests doesn't it? And it can yeah. build, build in tensions and stuff like that. But can you, yeah.
0: can, can you give us a couple of names Jason you was so in a fist fight to like the scenes.
1: Yeah I I'd probably best not, it's probably not appropriate <laughs> is it? But, um <laughs> yeah
0: okay okay well we'll get on to 2004 obviously that's that's the big year but I, I do want to pick up another year which was very special for you that was 1999 because it was a, a as well as when you indoor bronze that's the year that you ran you got to the world final in seville you got to the 100 meter final there um european record in the relay silver and you also ran sub 10 what what are your memories of running sub 10 in that in lausanne it was
1: yeah, oh, it was amazing. Yeah, again, very vivid, vivid memories. I was having a season of my life and, uh, you know, it was, you know, that's kind of a big benchmark. You know, everybody, every 100-meter sprinter wants to achieve, you know, get, you know, being a sub-10 um, second sprinter. Um, and I just thought it was going to happen that, that evening. You know, I ran 10.02 or something like that in the previous race or 10.03. I'd be knocking on the door. And... In kind of five round, I think around 1002 or something like that in the um, the first round. I gave it my absolute, you know, 100%, and I was kind of a little bit gutted, but I, I so close, but didn't break it. And I was a bit fatigued actually for the final. And again, I was still kind of um not quite seasoned, probably or, or prepared to to deal and cope with rounds. And so I hadn't quite recovered. It was a short turnaround, maybe 45, 50 minutes or something like that, from the from that like uh, first round to the final. But I remember staying relaxed. My hamstring was playing up a little bit. I didn't want to um, blow it out and uh, ruin my whole season because i have ruined a couple of those already. And I kind of just stayed relaxed, kept low at the blocks. So my turnover was good. Came up, kept relaxed, and uh, Morris screen and Atto Bolden, you know, surged uh, ahead of me and i dipped in third place and ran under 10 seconds which was um yeah, know just amazing seeing it on the board coming up as um you know um you know not the one but you know mm-hmm. zero nine point nine eight was amazing and what was to follow actually in lots of um the races for the rest of that year i would go to a meeting maybe in italy or something like that or uh, champs and there would be like sprinters who'd also broken 10 seconds who, like donovan bailey or someone like that may come up to say welcome to the sub 10 club or something like that yeah, it was yeah. just that mark of respect with my you know peers and uh you know it was just truly just you know um i just got really proud and uh yeah, privileged to run that fast yeah
0: yeah it's definitely the most iconic uh i mean paul has the six meters but the hundred meters is uh is 10 seconds it's definitely part of the club isn't it yeah is that something you banter about with uh, with like some marlon darren and mark because you're the only one that got under 10.
1: No, I don't actually. No, I mean I have. A huge <laughs> you should do. You should do, Jason. You should do. Well, um, maybe I'll have to use that then, because um, I mean, it, to be to be honest with you, they 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 they're the ones who've got the um you know the medals over the hundreds or two hundred meters. So and, and that's where um, my cabinet kind of um is lacking from that that point of view.
0: Now we'll get into the biggest moment of all, and that is the 2004 Olympics. As you've already mentioned, even getting to Athens was a long shot after the serious operations you required that year after the indoor season, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, having having, you know, the uh, surgery, uh, the groins repaired, and I was currently, you know, uh, lifting huge amounts of weights with a fully broken wrist as well. It'd been fractured for two years, been fully broken for a year. But I was, it was essential for me to lift power clean in particular because I got a lot of um, uh, my confidence from the amount of weights I could power clean. So I needed twice body weight. Um, but it was an uphill struggle coming back every day i had to take as a positive um, step of progress and i the reality is i really couldn't afford to miss one day as one as a healthy athlete to compete against the very best i like, know you know re- rebuilding starting from scratch as it felt like you know and i was never ever the same starter as i was um pre-operation i mean we talk about Madrid indoors and particularly Birmingham you know I just never had that real kind of fire and ability to generate that power through that that core part of my body um but I had a great team a fantastic medical team which was largely made possible because of the um the lottery funding um the successes of the uh, you know, GB team GB is a sport and um, certainly paved the way to enable me to have access to some really good physios, um, you know, uh, osteopaths and, and doctors. And that's been one of my biggest success stories, actually, following surgery, because I used to see some people which were in the English Institute of Sport, maybe based at the University of Bath. And a couple of doctors, like um, our head doctor, Brian English, was in Sheffield at the time. Then I had um, a doctor I used to go and see sometimes um, in Germany, My wolf Wolfhart. Um, that's fortunate. Um, Colin Jackson um, took me across to see him um, one time. And also, a really good team of people around me, I some people which were working within the system in terms of like they were paid by, say, the English Institute of Sport. And there were some other private practitioners um, as well. And one of the challenges for any person, I guess, when you're dealing with um, medical people, if you don't have that uh, that language, understanding of, you know, the, the whole body and how things work, was very difficult kind of trying to take what a doctor or a surgeon says to, um, you know, my master or my coach, physio, and suddenly, you know, things get lost in translation. But one of my best things I was able to do was actually get everybody uh, in the same roof and discussing my current situation and building a credible plan of how I could try and get myself back onto that Olympic team. Now, these days we're fortunate with like the technologies like what we're doing today, but that that you know wasn't really around uh, you know, back in mm-hmm. 2004, when it wasn't around. And people were incredibly busy. to so try and get like, you know, some top um, professionals um together at the same time it was quite a challenge. But I did manage it. And then we had a dialogue where everybody was, you know, um, keeping in communication and, and, and updating on the progress. And that took a big strain out of me because it's very difficult trying to, you know, take all this medical interpretation or somebody saying, you know, you need to do these exercises or for that amount of time. And then maybe seeing another um, practitioner um, which could contradict that. So having everybody singing from the same industry as such was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I every day was a positive, even qualifying for the British um Olympic team in Manchester in 2004, how I won that race running against the likes of you know, serial medal winners in terms of Darren Campbell, um, mm. Martinus Francis, Christian Malcolm, Marlon Devonish, I mean it was a blanket finish across that line, I won by 102nd. I still look back as that as one of my very greatest achievements because I was far, far, far from being at my best. And you know that opened up another six weeks of preparation and um, development, uh, continued uh, improvement and development to the start of the Olympic Games. And I finished ninth uh, in Athens, i just missed the final. And
0: I was yeah, ready? I guess I'll just just go back a second there, just because it's very interesting talking about the domestic. um you know very difficult to get through the trials in those days and those those fields are very deep and getting how do you cope with having to you want to be at your peak at the olympics but you can't afford to just the luxury of just training through the trials can you how do you manage that
1: no so our system isn't quite as tough as the u.s system where it's free past the post end of Um, we do have a little bit of kind of flexibility where there could be the a first basically it was unwritten kind of rule within the 100 meters that first pre-pass the post pretty much guaranteed your your, your place on the team but there was if the coaches wanted to um maybe select somebody else there was that discretion discretionary kind of first spot where there was um and you didn't really want to come first because you didn't want to leave yourself open to selectors playing games um but I didn't I came first. So it's you know, and I had the qualification time. So it was absolutely fantastic. But in terms of the challenges for some some of your listeners, yeah, we work on periodized training programs, and at very best, coaches get it right. They get they get their athletes peaking at the right time and that is a major chance the stumbling block we have because their strength and depth and 100 meters about then was so good as you couldn't afford to just put all your eggs in one basket peaking you know middle of the august for the champs. if you don't come in the top three um like you know six weeks before so we had to kind of like you know try and catch it on on and up and you know shift again uh, for the um, the major championships and that is a that's quite a hard thing to do you see some athletes will peak for the British championships and then they're not quite the same um, come the major games
0: so take it take us to Athens then you, you're there you, you say you got to the uh, you got to the semi-finals of the the 100 meters but did you didn't quite make it to the final did you
1: was that yeah just fell short just you know frustratingly um, and I was as you would expect, any athlete, you know, you're disappointed. And I remember Malcolm Arnold afterwards. And Malcolm was a renowned, amazing coach. And a lot of people say, "Oh, Malcolm doesn't smell that much," um, which is, um, yeah, quite, quite true, I guess. But afterwards, he was—he seemed to be probably more pleased with um, the performance, uh, getting to Athens and, and delivering that result. And probably many other occasions in my career whilst um, he was coaching me, and he said, "If I had said to you uh, after surgery, you know, you'll finish ninth in the Olympic Games with a you know a season's best or well, the fastest time for a number of years, would you have taken it?" And of course, I'd have bitten your right arm off. Um, but then, you know, athletes were always were greedy. We we're always you know chasing that you know that better, one better performance. And being close to Olympics was um, frustrating, but the most frustrating thing about all that, and which has been part of, um, you know, a, a a horrible kind of um, you know, process and experience in my career is, you know, sadly you look back after the games have come coming gone, and then you find out the people which are um, being dishonorable mm. and um, have broken rules and you know cheated by taking drugs. You know, it's it's happened countless times. So it's frustrating to to not know actually how mm-hmm. good I really was, because if mm-hmm. you take out a drug cheat... So I think, for example, I think it was about three athletes from that Olympic final, which I think has subsequently been banned. And,
0: um, yeah.
1: and one of her who was, um, had some investigations going um, going on a, about potentially buying drugs illegally and stuff, although that person never got tested positive. So yeah. it's um that's a huge frustration, but, you know... Yeah, I remember when we were just talking about, you know, games you watched, like 1984, I mean, 1988 was the games I, uh, in in Seoul, was um, when I first kind of watched big sport and seen, you know, that final with the Ben Johnson mm-hmm. winning, and thought, wow, what an amazing, amazing performance, and then as a young child, hearing all the news, that like, this guy's been, you know, done for drugs, and I never, had, I didn't know at such a young age yeah. that athletes took drugs, I thought it was down and outers so that was all quite new and I and as my was as I was developing my sport I always thought that the authorities would be on top of these things and um mm. and that would you know that by the time I get to compete olympics it would be totally you know um legitimate clean level playing field sadly wasn't the case no I was going to get what I was
0: going to get to that actually the uh it, it was around that time where it was a the era you competed in there was the balco scandal there was tim montgomery i think you've alluded to you know there's allegations around maurice green not proven never tested positive but there was allegations of him buying or purchasing some illegal drugs um uh, that lynn justin calum another one as well what i mean what was it something you something you were oblivious to at the time were you aware of it um did it surprise um, you
1: look you you hear stories and there are always lots of stories which go around and and there are coaches which have bad reputations uh and when athletes may join those coaches with you know a, a, a less credible reputation um from their from their practices and those athletes careers or performances have a transformational improvement you know sometimes when things don't smell quite right they often aren't mm-hmm. but you can't go around accusing people that are taking things without any evidence and you you rely and you put your trust in the systems which do that like you know the um the anti doping authorities mm-hmm. but as we you know, sadly come to learn time and time again um they seem to be somewhat a few steps behind some of the um some of the athletes which um decided so to go down that route. I mean, then you've got to look back at what's happened, you know, with with um, with Russia mm-hmm. uh, and the Tim Montgomery situation and Dwayne Chambers. Mm-hmm. That was all to do with a a a rogue coach who was, you know, frustrated because some of his athletes left him, and that coach knew the program which they were on. So that wasn't the testers as such that that you know found these athletes. That was to do with somebody on the inside.
0: And what was your reaction to Dwayne at the time when it was uh, did it, it emerged for you? Obviously, we were all disappointed, but um, was it a surprise to you? I
1: was think when, you, when athletes get caught, it it still comes as a surprise because you hear stories which are rumbling around, but you you don't really sometimes you don't really um, see the results of, um, of that coming true in terms of um, you know um, them being found out. Uh, of course, it was hugely dis- disappointing because it, a was a on a relay team friend um so the guys I didn't actually run in Paris, but the guys lost their medals, so you know which mm. team suffered um a bit like they did in post them um, tokyo um and and I actually personally lost out on a chance of going to the world championships in two thousand and three. I just joined Mark Arnold. It would have been a big goal for me to have um, to compete at the world championships join a new coach and a new regime and it was a very different regime and I found it absolutely you know I'm um, challenging uh, partaking in the increased in volume of training under Malcolm Arnold's um, tutorage um, so that would have been a huge um, positive first step for confidence and also um, you know again these kind of start, the, the ripple effects which people don't, may not see is um I lost a significant uh, proportion of my sponsorship uh, with my shoe company at the time which was Asics in fact it was 50% of my my salary and good athletes tend to make most of their kind of um, their wages to survive um, through their shoe com- their shoe companies so that was a direct impact and loss of earnings on you know the circuit and all those other things and um, potential you know medals at the championships so you know you can't get those back it's a bit like the athletes which you know um, are robbed of the um, you know the glory of standing yeah. on the uh, nostrum I mean it's great that now they do celebrations and try to honour those um, those feats when they people do test pos- positive and I found out but it's not the same it's not the same as standing in you know in, in enjoying that glory at a major games like when we stood on top of Rostrum and Athens
0: yeah yeah and that's uh, that's obviously the, the the unfortunate side of the sport sometimes but let's get let's get to the highlight of your career let's get to the to Athens and the the relay there, um, it was uh, it was it was magical, wasn't it? That that, uh, that relay that you guys won, you and Marlon and Mark and Darren. Uh, but it, it was it was um, I watched it again the other night. It was um, you were definitely not the favourites, were you? The USA were the hot favourites, and, and and you guys, not none of you had reached your individual finals that time, had you? So you were there was a bit of a negativity around the team at the time, wasn't there? Certainly from yeah. the press.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a little bit of an insight, but um, if you haven't, then you can read all about it in here.
0: The race, yeah, our race, yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah. um, which goes, it gives you a real freeing account of um, the journey, trials and tribulations. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time I think since the 1980s that um, Britain had um, failed to uh, uh, deliver a finalist in the 100-200 meter event at the Olympic Games, and. Um, You've heard my story, my challenges that year. So coming ninth was a, was a huge celebration, but, you know, outsiders looking in, it, 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 it didn't look good for the British sprinters. Um, Darren had this uh, bit of a fallout with Michael Johnson and the build up to it. Um, Michael was um, questioning Darren's um, um, honesty in terms of um, pulling a hamstring or tweaking a hamstring. Mm-hmm. Mark Lewis, Francis, have been you know, had some really tough criticism in the press and not fulfilling his childhood, um, you know, um, talent. He was young as well at the time, still very young. A lot to take on, uh, you know, on his shoulders. And, and Marlon didn't make it in any the, in any the, in the individual events. I think he came fourth. He came fourth in the 100 meters trials, and he might become similar in the um, 200. So, mm-hmm. um, but what we had is we had a team, and again, I mentioned earlier on in this chat. Me and Marlon started racing with each other at 15. We weren't roommates and were juniors. So we built we built a friendship, but also within that friendship, a working friendship. So we've been you know, passing batons uh, to and from each other for years and years. I started, I joined Darren Campbell in 1995, I think it was um, his Olympic squad training sessions before Atlanta. And uh, Martin Luther Francis was you know, um, the youngest puppy of the group. Yeah. As a of lot of Dwayne's actions, suddenly got his chance, and he got his chance. I remember Darren saying, "You got a chance to do what Dwayne never did, um, never did, and that was um, to to beat the Americans." And yeah, Darren said, "We're going to give you the bat and then the lead." And we've given, and we have the British team have been in the lead. We're in the lead, I think, against I think uh, in Paris. So there we ran the Americans down really hard. I have to go and look back on the footage if we got the baton in the lead. I think we, we did. Um, so that's huge pressure on Mark's shoulders, but you know, the positivity of the, of the energy of the group, you know, he was able to um, rise to the occasion. But we worked and worked. We knew our strength was our camaraderie in Athens, where it was, it was a fractured uh, team. Four years before in Sydney, when we were much faster individually, we wanted a team, a bunch of individuals um, who pretty much let ourselves down at the most critical time um, when you uh, require solidarity and, you know, uh, working together as a cohesive one team. So we learned from those mistakes and we got that in Athens. And we also knew that our, we knew we couldn't match Americans. And for man for the speed, they won five of the individual six medals available. I think um, Amy Cuellu, which got a silver in the 200 meters um, for Portugal. So, um, but we knew we put pressure on them on the changeovers. We've got a fighting chance, and we knew where the pressure point would be. We, 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 you know, Darren is, is like a, he's like a bee stirring things up, and he was kind of, he was always he got on with americans like morris green and stuff like that mark and me didn't um and you know he would get insight and bring intel back into the group but we knew that they didn't want kobe miller as their favorite choice again you've got these sprint groups and you know they're very powerful Mm. the john smith group against the trevor graham group and um we knew that kobe didn't have an individual medal from the um Olympics. So we knew that he was probably feeling that like he's got to prove his place. The um, Justin Gatlin, Morris Green, Sean Crawford around 100-200 metres, picked up a bag of medals. But we also knew there might be a bit of fatigue in their team. We also knew that they don't, we don't just go out to win, they want to go out and put a show on and maybe break a world record. And in, in turn, that brings element of risk. So we knew that, okay, if we can pressure them to make a mistake on their changeover two, we've got a fighting chance. And my goal was to make sure I could give Mark Lewis Francis confidence of um, knowing we're not, you know, two metres down on the first layer. Because that's what um, Sean Crawford, who I beat to win the World Indoors early in the year, was going to put on me. And that kind of frustrates me that I beat him in the World Indoors before I had the surgery. And then suddenly he's got two... You know, two meter kind of um, advantage on I me mean, as we go into the summer, um, and he won the Olympics 200 meters. Yeah. So um, uh, Darren and myself had the most perfect changeovers, uh, which you know, that's what it's all about. Practice makes perfect. Boom, and Darren's hamstring held out for the team as he changed into Marlon, and that, again, it was like poetry in motion. I couldn't see it at the time, but the Americans made a mistake. And that mistake cost them heavily because Mark Lewis Francis gets a baton from Marlon again, another sublime changeover ahead of Morris Green by you know clear distance. And as Morris Green closes Mark down, you know to a blanket finish, that Chester Marks dipped ahead <laughs> of Morris by one hundredth of a second, and it was just honestly, you couldn't have written a better script. We we genuinely believed we were going to win. I genuinely believe that in that the Americas will make a mistake. where well they did. And Darren had given Mark Lewis Francis the belief that we're gonna give him the bat in the lead and he's gonna hold off Morris Green. It came true. I could I could bottle that energy and feeling that evening um, and sell it. I'd be a rich guy.
0: <laughs> you talked about camaraderie how, how do you get that slick because it's quite I've always thought it's quite a difficult group to pull together a hundred meter, a bunch of hundred metre guys because you are you are rivals you are rivals you're, you're all fighting out for individual spots and you're fighting for British championships and the rest um, consistently year on year trying to get into those uh, individual spots for major champs how do you get it together and get that that team spirit amongst yourself it's quite a
1: challenge isn't it yeah I think comes a um, bit of um, maturity yeah. and respect and um, in fact it was from following the uh, news that Dwayne had been banned and the knock-on consequence of that was all his races from the that year 2003 um, had been annulled so that led more than the relay races so we went from being ranked second in the world um, to not having a world ranking so not having a qualification for the Olympic right. Games so what that meant was Talk about clarity of purpose, you may, the listeners may think oh, every athlete which competes the Team GB Olympics, their goal is to win Olympic gold. Well, maybe that's the dream for a lot of people, but actually some people, the dream is just making it on the Team GB team, because, there's there's a, you know, there's a, big, there's a big void gap, performance gap between maybe becoming an Olympian to being an Olympic champion. So within our squad relays, historically, if you were in the first three at the trials, you would automatically be put in the relay team. Now, those squad members, not all of them necessarily want to be team members or want to do relay. I mean, It still happens um, you know, to the teams um, at present. So suddenly, if you've got people which don't want to be part of it and um, they won't put team first, they'll just put themselves first. And that causes a huge amount of um Of friction within the squad but with the Duane situation the management actually asked you know do we want to focus on our individuals or do we want to try and qualify a team And if we want to try and qualify a team we have to um, we're going to have to race a lot more do a lot more training because there's not many opportunities to run relay races uh, in good weather with good competition to qualify and the beauty is I think there were some people which didn't want to be part of um, the relay squad so they left the room and those that stayed made um made a commitment to each other and it was the most basic kind of things and principles um the commitments and so we create our kind of own, you know code or values and things like just being you know committing to the program committing to the training um supporting each other um even if you're not selected for the squad turning up on time all these small things which mm. weren't actually great scheme of things were absolutely necessary and critical um, you know um, components to get right and through that we had people which wanted to be on the team we created clarity about what it was we were trying to achieve and that's the first time I've been part of teams for years but no one had actually sat down and said what it is what do you guys want to achieve now from a lottery point of view we need the medals so the team might think okay well we need a medal so the bronze Will we be happy with bronze or do we want gold? Because the the two things are very different in terms of what you're trying to achieve and the preparation. But that team, not just the four athletes that ran, the squad, the other four members, which were a part of it, all played a part where we all supported each other to go out there to do the best that we could do. And that that was pretty much the story, um, how we all came together, and maturity and respect. And,
0: and the the work you put in there, obviously, you got the rewards of the gold. I was watching also the the atmosphere and the the joy and the uh, camaraderie is so obvious on the podium. Yeah. In, in, when you get the medals, it's just it's just you can just see how much of a team you are. And in contrast to the Americans, who are you know unusually sheepish and um, what you, what's your memories of that of actually
1: being on the podium as well. Well, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate to be on the podium, but usually looking up to the um, athletes from the USA. So it was it was a, it was fulfilling dreams dreams for all of us. You know, our childhood dreams of being an Olympic champion. Um, I wasn't good enough to be an Olympic champion in the 100 meters. I gave it a good shot, but to be able to celebrate with my teammates was a tremendous feeling because I've won medals, gold medals for Britain before, and it. It's quite a lonely experience. Athletics is a tough, it's a tough sport. You know, you 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 lose and it, you know it's all on you. Even when you win, it's kind of all on you. You don't got really many people to share it with apart from your your team of people like coaches and what have you. But to have that bond with those three other guys, um, it's just fantastic, because when we see each other, the eyes light up, the smiles are there, and we can just, you know, reminisce and share that incredible night, because being on that rostrum with those three was very special. I was big rivals with Darren, um, we didn't get on uh, uh, in in some years, and stuff like that, and that's one of the biggest challenges with um, the relays. You are are rivals, fierce rivals on an individual level, Um, there's a lot at stake, but then in a short you know period of time at champs you've got to come together as a team and that takes that takes a lot of work a lot of trust and you know revealing your um, vulnerability to other members of the team in terms of, so you can support them in those areas to protect each other's weaknesses and, and enhance each other's strengths so yeah on the rostrum united together and for a change looking down on USA seeing the union flag being raised in the olympic final um, you know it, back home at the Olympic Games in Athens it 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 blows my mind to this day mm. it really does
0: was it and I don't, really, I don't want to get too nationalistic about this but it, did it make it more sweeter that the Americans were second and you beat the Americans because if they, you know what happens the relay sometimes things go wrong and they drop the battle and they don't make it through and it's happened to Britain but there was no asterisks against that was it it was a yeah. it was a proper win
1: yeah, and I think um it's been written um somewhere online that it goes down in Olympic history one of the greatest, you know, defeats um uh, uh, of the games of the favourites, you know, a bit of David and Goliath kind of story really. Mm-hmm. Really was and I think the power of the actually the message is actually we're a small team we're a small nation, we we guys we were working together for years, we're a small cohort of teams, we don't have the strength and depth. But it just goes to show that we've um uh, good clarity of purpose uh, a will and hard graft and a little bit of um if there is a bit of luck going out there you make your own luck um anything is possible and I, I like to think for um people which are you know uh, uh, going on the journey sometimes you may see it as, as a gap between the very best and y- yourself can be quite can look very big but it's, they say anything can happen, and it can. You can make things happen, and all you can do is do your best. And for us, that worked. I mean, four years later, our time would have got us on the medal. Um, I wrote uh, Um, Jamaica came along, smashable records. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, it, time is, is everything. And that night, it was our time.
0: It was also the time of Kelly Holmes. That was the night she won a double goal, wasn't it? Did you, did you have any, it was a very special night at British Athletics, did you have any time with Kelly that night? Did you have any moments there or was it all chaotic with the media afterwards?
1: No, I mean only when we were in the final call is we hit the national anthem going, so we have been in like a process for a number of hours, been, I think in the whole uh, fight in from uh, first call to final call probably I think it's like nearly two hours. So um, so the realisation is Kelly's you know, won another Olympic gold I think it will, something like that, and and you know, I looked at my teammates in the eyes as they did mine, and it was just another sign. There was lots of positive positivity, and we were we were we were drawing on that positivity. And just hearing our anthem play in that Olympic stadium was another you know boost for us. Because as you'll know, our anthem doesn't play that often. It's not like British cycling, British rowing, sailing. So it was. Um, I, no, that evening, no. By the time we finished our, our post-event uh, media and drug testing and stuff like that, it was like right about one in the morning. The boys went out and celebrated, um, I think, hard at the um, sports administrator's party. And I was the boring one. I went back to um, the village. I was just, my head was just gone. I mean, I, the surgery, the stresses I'd been under from um, the surgery my first child was born as well um, literally a month or so a month after I'd had the surgery so my wife was kind of like thrown upside down for me so I just had to just go and take stock of it and and I was a fresh eyed um, guy next morning that, um, that with the media when my friends that were struggling with a, a, a few too many um, champagnes
0: <laughs> what's it but what's just what's it like getting getting back to the village like that because it, it's late at night quiet you're on your own, like you say. Um, do you allow yourself just to sort of have a bit of reflection, and and even when you get in, get in and brush your teeth, you look at yourself in the mirror and go, yes. <laughs> yeah, I um, yes,
1: I. The, the British team there's always there's always you know there's Team GB headquarters. There's always going to be the media. People, there's people around and other athletes, and you're the back end of the Olympic program. So a lot of people finish and they're you know they're they're kind of enjoying you know everything Olympics has, has to offer. So yeah, the you know the the congratulations and stuff like that and the smiles on people's faces, the reactions is it just truly um it's just tr- yeah truly wonderful. I mean because I've come back to the Olympics in you know Sydney when we got dis disqualified in the relay, uh you know I didn't fulfill my my um my goals in hundred meters. So you know I came back, you know, gutted, you know, um long face. So those moments when you do deliver and you are happy it's um it's a great place and the energy and feel good i mean even when i've been a part of team G V um major games before that's why it's quite important early in the championships where you see athletes go out there and deliver because it lifts the morale of the camp and uh it gives a real big boost and feel good factor and you know um so yeah it was it, it it, it 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 was it was brilliant to come back to the camps but I went back to my room and I remember you know that I Olympic medal next to my my um my bedside table and just yeah I think I woke up well I, I hardly slept but when I did sleep and woke up I was just you know scared to think did I, did I just go for an amazing dream Did it, you know um we actually win that gold medal so just seeing that olympic gold medal is 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 a is a reminder reminder of a special time and it still is today when i am whenever i am you know get it out of the um
0: the draw great great i, w- I won't keep you much longer but can i just ask you about your um your life since you've retired now i mean you've got been been quite a busy busy fellow haven't you you've been um well the uk athletics president now how did, how did that come about
1: i think probably my early instructions to kind of um Sport management, governance, and stuff like that. Was I? I think that was like myself, Goldie, Sayers, Kelly Saberton. We kind of joined the athletes and athletes' committee under Dave Collins' um, regime. So thankfully, things have moved on now, where it's a formalised committee with um, some, which which is taken seriously by the um, the board and Mm -hmm. um, the performance um, team. And we were just trying to improve, um, you know, uh, the support uh, for athletes at the time. So that's how I started to get involved. And I was really frustrated um, with um, relays in particular, with some of the kind of um, bad behaviours and and how, you know, the tolerance from um, some of the leadership at the time. And I think it kind of, obviously, I'd done well. I handled myself quite well during my career. And obviously, that 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 has been... Uh, been noted, and there was, um, I think there was a new, co- uh, new management come in place with um, Nils DeVos and Ed Warner, and they were quite keen to, on their board, to have uh, another person with fresh experience of uh, being a elite athlete pre-lottery and during, and during the lottery funding world-class um, performance programme. So I applied. I, there was a non-exec director role, and I applied for it. And and um, I was non-exec for about seven years, and you know, that was great being able to, you know, be on the be on the board, to be next to, you know, next to president at the time, Lynn Davies. We had a um, Tanny Gray Thompson, and then we had a host of uh, successful people, board members, and you know, successful business, but didn't have any exp- experience with athletics. So it was a, certainly a good blend. As you'll know, at the time, Neil's boss and Ed Warner weren't they not people from from the sport. So, but they were keen to try, you know, to make sure they had that um, that insight um, for someone who had been part of it. And then I'd done quite well. I shadowed Lynn actually towards the end, as, as he was coming to the end of his um, uh, terms. I think he'd done three, four terms in the end, I think for twelve years. I think you can only now you can only do um, two, four terms or four years now. Mm. And. Um, it was part of a succession plan I guess and you've got you obviously got to get elected or, or nominated and um, I was elected to take over from Lynn and it's been a an ex, you know a huge honor it's certainly um, it's been a very different ride uh, than Lynn Davies had um, we've had some really tough times in the sport in recent years and uh, but nevertheless it's certainly again it's been an it, it's been an education dealing with sports politics uh, <laughs> i
0: bet it has yeah i bet it has Yeah, and you've also worked with you what you had some work with with manchester city didn't you as, uh, as, yes you had house of sports yes I, I didn't know much about that but tell
1: me a bit about that then well yeah i was brought in to do some consultancy work for them because um yeah, up in the ATI campus, uh, you know, it's a huge, huge amount of positive um, work going on. Obviously, you've got the um, regional athletics arena, the um, council of pro sport, pro sport and local people. And and obviously, the football club is, you know, made a huge impact um, with um, the ownership in Manchester. And they want to be a big powerhouse. They won the Commonwealth Games back in 2002. Mm. And there's huge aspirations to do um to win more bids and recently athletics has um uh, uh, had events back there with like national championships and stuff but i always come on board to, with their aspirations to get more national government bodies to be um to consider manchester as a as a hub as a as a home for their sports so i say there's some there's big plans in place and um I think especially now with with some of the challenges with sport funding there's certainly some sports which you know may not be as fortunate to receive you know huge um chunks of lottery funding there's um yeah some some great uh, uh incentives to 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 relocate to Manchester
0: okay uh, and what else do you do tell me about DC sports
1: another yeah role so you have uh, yeah, so DC Sport, I'm, I, I'm head of the sports division of a, a creative tech company and, and a creative tech company which does a lot of work with um, uh, fast-moving consumer goods. So works the likes of um, uh, Diageo, Imperial, Nestle. Um, and basically what they do is they produce environments in like digital environments from full 360, 3D for these brands to promote their products or show new products and and put people through for headsets and tests. Where where's the best place? What's the difference between spending? Spending 150,000 pounds on that that activation there to a quarter million on there. So in not, a, in, a, in a sports facility we're talking. Well, we, so the core business does that generally, like mm. duty free, um, yeah, air, you know, airports and, oh. and shops. So if, for example, so like I don't know if you go into quality, um, if you go into John Lewis or something like that, and you see these quality street for Christmas, personalised like. Um, tins with your name on it and your own favorite kind of collections that's what they do they produce from design to actually build Um, and I saw great opportunity because I could see that digital has been lacking in sport and there was an opportunity where I could utilize some of this um tech um deploy it in sport so one of the first um jobs we started doing was was the London Olympic Stadium? So we we designed it in um, 3D. It changes every year because of the configuration with West Ham, and we're able to d- um, design, you know, view from your seat or view from your block. So you can distinguish what's a you know what's a twenty pound ticket seat view like compared to a hundred pound ticket. Mm-hmm. So you help the buyer have a better informed decision making process, especially if you want to be around where maybe watching the pole vault or long jump, and Every year, sometimes configuration could change. You can have a lot of uh, disappointed customers, or not having a good customer experience. So we've done stuff like that. But recently, we just um, we built the first. At the time, it was the first uh, global uh, online full full virtual reality sports museum in the world. So if you go on onto uh, World Athletics website and click on museum, Museum of World Athletics (MoA). Uh, our team built that whole um, museum, just released a new room for uh, as it's came on board before the um, Oregon World Championships and, um, yeah, we built a room for, uh, as we went into Tokyo, so there's a number of rooms, the collection's building and there's more, okay. there's more coming up. It's a free online platform to look at, that's gives an example of some of the work um, which um, our, the team I, I head up um, do. Okay,
0: okay, I'll take a look at that. Are you in there?
1: I managed to make it in there so Chris, <laughs> yeah Chris Turner who's um the heritage <laughs> director um yeah I managed to make it um uh having won the World Indoor Championships so um yeah which is um yeah, it's, it's lovely to, to feature there so um my winning spikes um which is part of the collection actually is um it's featured in there you can get a full 360 view I mean, you got you got example you got uh, uh artifacts of jesse owens captured and stuff like that and stories video it's quite yeah it's it's quite a good space if you're interested in athletics history i'll have a look certainly i'll have a look Yeah. so finally
0: you're still looking in good in quite good physical condition there Are are you how do you keep yourself fit these days
1: well i'm not quite in good um good condition as i would like to be but i i do try to look after myself and in another area of work I've been doing recently since probably the pandemic is I've been doing a bit more co- I've been doing more coaching um, I've been doing personal training and speed coaching working with um, people across multi-sports and so um, you yeah, that keeps me in a, in a bit of good shape because I've got to t- still do some demonstrations and uh, you know show the um, the skills which um, I'm trying to get them to, to improve upon but um, I run a little bit I try and run a bit you know 7k 10k runs every week just to try and keep the timber down um <laughs> yeah and, and, and for my sanity. that's interesting
0: and does it Did your speed ever still come in useful at all do you ever need to use it to run for a buzz uh, or whatever
1: <laughs> yeah i don't I, i'll be honest with you I've, I've i've on the track when i've tried kind of just um pacing one or two youngsters that i've um, been helping i've realized that actually um the gears i want to go through um i can barely probably get out of um second gear so i'm um, without the hamstrings playing up so i'm um, no, i i try to keep away from doing stuff or running as fast these days
0: uh finally fine.
1: just to make the ordinary
0: ordinary mortals listening to this and, and myself included as well what does a, a guy like you cover 10k in
1: my best time is 48 minutes so is you know oh. is yeah it, it which is amazing for somebody who used to just run 100 meters but um of course for the average kind of you know good runner out there it's, it's it's not a it's not a massive um great performance but it is has breaking yeah. 50 minutes is um is a huge achievement
0: yeah those fast twitch fibers aren't so useful after all are they after six miles <laughs> yeah, no. good good so yeah th- thanks, thanks jason for your time and, and before we go just how would you sum up your career how would you like to be remembered
1: Oh gosh, yeah, you know, no, that's a question, isn't it? How do I be remembered? Um, I'd like to be remembered as somebody with um, integrity, who, yeah, who, who worked to be the best that they could be, and, um, and, uh, yeah, who fulfilled their um, childhood dreams.
0: Great, fantastic. Thanks, Jason. That's lovely. Really appreciate your time today.
1: Okay, no worries. Okay, all the very best, and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to Jason, one of the sport's true nice guys. If you want to know more about the epic 4x1 Drameter Gold Jason won alongside Darren Campbell, Marlon Devenish and Mark Lewis-Francis, then I can highly recommend Our Race, a book by Tristan Bevan and Ben Mercer. It offers a deep dive into each sprinter's journey and is the definitive guide on a truly great British sporting moment.
1: Thanks for listening to Athletic Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.